You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 34 of the Comic Book Informer. We're coming to you on July 6th this week, as usual. I'm your host, Vince, and I got Raj uh, riding side here. How you doing there, buddy? I'm doing all right. Uh, I guess that's about the best we can expect from you. <laughs> this week, yeah. <laughs> I'll be back to normal next week, hopefully. Uh, what's normal? <laughs> Last week. <laughs> Giggly crazy, <laughs> maybe a little bit drunk, but damn fun. <laughs> all right, then. So we're going to dive straight into our discussion this week, and it's one of those comics that I've been wanting to talk about, wanting to talk about, and just waiting for the right time, and that is Venom, uh, written by Rick Remender with art from Tony Moore with uh, also some backup art from Tom Fowler in one issue, and Venom has always been one of those characters that's been hugely popular, been around but he kind of had that Wolverine syndrome to him. Yeah, writers would just throw him out there, you know, give him a miniseries, sell a bunch of books. And for a long time, the character never really did anything. It was an interesting concept. Of course, when it first came out, uh, Venom was huge. Uh, that was probably one of the, the most interesting villains Marvel has seen in ages. So getting him into his own comic here at first, it was kind of sketchy. I was like, okay, it's Venom. I, I enjoy him like in the books at times uh, when he was with the Thunderbolts recently, as well as in Dark Avengers. Uh, it was pretty entertaining, but the book wasn't about him. He was just there. So now we're getting back to a comic that's solely about Venom. And I was a little hesitant coming in here. Uh, Venom started off in Amazing Spider-Man 654.1, which didn't really have anything to do with Spider-Man. It was more of a Venom 0.1. And uh, let's, let's not talk about that. We've been over that subject. But um, what do you think about that one there, Roger? I actually enjoyed it, but it's exactly like you said. I mean, these 0.1 initiatives are supposed to be to get the audience um, up to date with what is going on in that series I really don't understand why they put this Venom as that point one initiative. It made absolutely no sense to me. I understand that it's a character born of a Spider-Man series. Actually, it wasn't even born of a Spider-Man series. It was born of Secret Wars. But it was... Um, oh, look at you throwing out the knowledge. Hey, dude. I I had that. I, I read when Venom first came out. I was... I read it i bought those series so and it's funny because they made such a big deal out of venom and things like that since then when it was really just a a, a minor part of this much grander story that was going on in secret wars and yet that's what people held on to all these years but anyways um i really didn't see why this should be in that the amazing spider-man point one it made no sense regardless of that though if you go into it knowing that what you're getting is a venom story it was it was good i really liked it that being said i think what i'm liking more about this venom series versus a lot of the other ones that i've read is that unlike what you're saying i'm kind of i'm I'm kind of disagreeing. It's not a Venom series. It's a Flash series. It just happens that Venom's in it and it and is being used as a tool. So I know that that's going to change over time and we're going to see 
more of the Venom character as well. I mean, you pretty much have to, but for the time being, it's a very character-driven story, and as everybody knows, I love those. So, it's not just about Venom wreaking mayhem, it's about Flash holding control, trying to get some some control over Venom, and working around his issues, personal issues, his romantic issues, his interpersonal relationships, his sense of duty to his country and all of these other things so you're getting this incredibly complex character and everything that's going on with him and because it's in such a um amazing kind of story arc from what we've seen so far you're tossing in a I mean, regular guy. It's not somebody who has a power or anything like that. So you're taking this regular guy who's got some deep-seated issues from his past, his upbringing, his his alcoholism and everything, and tossing a Venom costume <laughs> on him. So let's just add to all that and see what it takes to break this character kind of thing. So that's what I've been loving. Not not Venom, but Flash. Yeah, that that's huge because that's really what has taken this venom and made it from you know something generic into something special. Because going back, Eddie Brock, there was never really much to Eddie. He was just you know kind of there. He hated Spider Man. Then he well, he still kind of hated Spider Man, but he wanted to do good. And there there was never really any development there. Um, venom later moved on to Mac Gargan, and once Ve- once Eddie gave up the Venom symbiote, that's when his character started developing. Interestingly enough, you know, he was diagnosed with cancer, all kinds of interesting stuff. Up to what we've seen lately in Amazing Spider Man with him becoming the anti Venom character, and at least. There's some development there, so I'm I'm getting more on board with Eddie than I was back in the day. Mac Gargan was just your generic villain, uh, former Scorpion, got the Venom symbiote, go out, run out there, did some crazy stuff. But now that it's on Flash, yeah, that was a really great touch because in the backups of Amazing Spider-Man during the whole big time launch, we saw the symbiote in the government labs and them testing it and them talking about who would be a suitable host for it so that they could weaponize it. And there was a lot of ideas going around there. At first, I thought it was going to be John Jameson because he had been a uh, a point in the Spider-Man stories at the time, you know, kind of bringing him back into it. And, you know, if, if the government's going to hire somebody to be Venom, it has to be somebody with those military ties. So I thought John Jameson was my first choice. I threw a couple others out there, uh, John Walker. And then I was having a discussion with a friend of mine one day. He's a huge Spider-Man fan. And it, it was just an epiphany. I was like, what about Flash? And everything just clicked. It was great. Um, way back few years ago in Amazing Spider-Man 574, they had a great one-shot issue, possibly one of my favorite single issues in recent memory, where the entire issue was focusing on Flash in Iraq and how his entire life has been inspired by Spider-Man. Yes, he, he was you know Spider-Man's biggest fan, but he was here as a soldier and all the things that he picked up from Spider-Man about being the selfless hero carried forward through this story to the point where he sacrificed himself to save the rest of his squad and ended up losing his legs. And that's why 
the venom thing kind of clicked for me. I was like, he can get his legs back with the symbiote. And that has been such a huge part of his development with the character is not only can you go out there, serve his country, be a hero, the dude can just walk again. And that's a pretty important part of the character in and of itself. It is, but they're not making that big of a deal of it yet. Uh, I'm sure they they may at some point, and they kind of allude to it a, a little bit, like when he is when he's in his wheelchair and trying to decide whether he should be going to the bar to have a drink, which has the on ramp, or to the church, which does not, and he has to tackle the stairs. So it was a nice little touch there. But overall, there hasn't been that much where you're getting the impression that he's doing this because it is allowing him to walk again. What you're seeing is that he's doing it out of this greater sense of duty. Case in point, when there is, uh, when he, when he feels the need that he's to to talk to Peter um, because of what Peter's going through at that uh, at that one point in was that the first issue or the second? I think it was probably um, the first one. The first, yeah, yeah. So and he says when and he gets that call and he says country first. He understands country first and he has to go. So I think that that's very much the 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 driving force for why he he is doing this. I. I I haven't seen enough yet that is a selfish kind of I get to do this because I get to walk again attitude. Yeah, but I mean, you have to realize that it is at least a part of his consideration. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. So Flash is going out on all these, you know, government missions, just being their their super soldier. Uh, If you look in the uh, the recap pages, they call it Project Rebirth 2.0. Well, Captain America was the first Project Rebirth. So this is the government's kind of second chance to get their in-house superhero. So he's going out and doing all these military missions, going after, you know, bad weapon caches and all kinds of craziness. And it has just been an insane ride through the first four issues. I mean, the first issue, they literally drop him into the middle of a war zone. And it's cool seeing... How Flash is doing his own thing, you know, getting his personality out there with with the way he's approaching the situations. But then I also love the little creative uses that they're coming up with the symbiote stuff we hadn't really seen before. The the, the panel with him running down the street with yeah. all the guns <laughs> and the symbiote shooting behind him or, you know, using the grenade. It, it's they're really taking some creativity here. And I'm really liking that. And also his, at least for this point in the story, his nemesis, Jack-O-Lantern, he was, you know, one of those generic villains again. Uh, They killed, actually killed him off in the Civil War, if you remember that one, Roger. So this is the first time, you know, somebody else has come back using the Jack-O-Lantern gimmick. And he's just as insane and fun as Venom is. Yeah, I, I have liked that. And again, it's that taking a character that has not has not always been a top tier type villain kind of thing and making it into someone that they're, they're even making light of it in the comic saying that he's a nemesis. Now, you know, he'd never had a nemesis before and now he does. And it's kind of fun. And I am liking as well, the little, the, the, the duality of what is going on. Like again, looking at when he's dropped into that war zone. So you've got flash and then you've got the venom symbiote and, the Venom symbiote is taking care of the, the protecting him and whatnot and and almost without him having to think about it, whereas Flash is 
disobeying direct orders to protect people because that's who he is. And it's that clash of personalities that you see later on as well when, uh, is it Betty or Betsy? Betsy, right? Betty? Betty. Betty. Betty is it Betty? Betty Brant. Yeah. So when his girlfriend gets gets taken and he has to try to save her and you've got that that again arguing with each other kind of thing because they're they're such different personalities. And yet it seems to be a, a, still a good mesh. They seem to still kind of work together very well for whatever reason. The symbiote still wants to be with him, which we saw when he was chased by um, by uh, Craven, and the suit came off and yet came looking for him later on because it wanted to be with him. Yeah, who needs who more? Does, does Flash need the symbiote or does the symbiote exactly. need Flash? Exactly, yeah, which is kind of, they're they're doing a good job with that, the, the writing is he's doing a really good job with the writing to to show the duality because that's going to have to be a huge part of this story for a bloody long time right now. You can't get us this invested in Flash's story, especially because so far, again, it hasn't been a Venom story. It's been a Flash story. So you can't get us that invested in this character and then just kill him off in, you know, issue eight or nine or whatever. This is this relationship is going to have to last a very long time. Yeah. Uh, just one fun little thing to point out. Um, Throughout the years, Jack-O-Lantern has always been considered a ripoff of the Green Goblin, whereas here, you know, Venom is kind of coming off as a ripoff of Spider-Man. So there's a fun little uh, behind the scenes yeah. joke running there. But I, I want to go back to that Craven issue we were talking about because that issue was freaking amazing. Okay, now, before we start on that, though, did or did I miss something? Was there a tie-in in another issue somewhere that led to it, or was it just plump issue? Yeah, I think that it, was it number was just, three. Was it? It was issue two. Was yeah, it, two? it was. It was just picking up in the middle of the action. Okay. And okay. You, I didn't know if I missed in something. The missing bits as it goes along. Yeah. Okay. But. If you look at uh, some of my articles there on the Comic Book Informer site, I did one called The Five Greatest Storylines of All Time. And one of the ones I picked was Craven's Last Hunt, where, you know, Craven sees Spider-Man as this symbol of, you know, everything that he fears in life. And that's what we come to in this. It's still taking that idea of the character and how he thinks that the only foe worthy of, you know, killing him is the spider and he sees venom as an agent of quote the spider until you know he sees the symbiote and it oh it's this twisted dark version i craven is just a freaking cool character on his own uh what they've done with him you know they killed him off in craven's last hunt and he stayed dead for 20-ish years until uh, grim hunt a couple years ago and now this is the first time we've seen him since then and that issue i just loved every page of it between craven and Flash and everything with a symbiote. I think that one issue was what really caused me to pay attention to this as more than just a fun story. And it took it to, wow, this could be something really special. Yeah, it was very good. I, in all honesty, though, I was a little disappointed once they were, um, they were actually fighting up close a little bit more. And then he lost the symbiote costume and things like that. Um, I thought that the actual fighting, just the choreography of what was going on, wasn't enough. It, it led up to so much, and then it was it kind of let me down. 
and part of that was just because there was so much going on in that issue as well. He had to get to the mine and for the weapons cache and this and that. And so I can appreciate that, but it I don't know, there was just I felt that the resolution wasn't between him and and, and Craven wasn't good enough. It it wasn't it, and I know that they're leaving it open so that they can go back to it kind of thing, but I feel that it just wasn't enough. I can buy that. But while we're on the subject of that issue, we're going to transition a bit over to the artwork because that's one of the best looking single issues of a comic I've seen in a long time uh, between Tony Moore, who most people would know as the artist that started out The Walking Dead. And I really have to give a lot of credit to his colorist on this series, John Roche, because between Craven and Jack-O-Lantern in that first issue and since, every panel on, on this comic has almost literally jumped off the page at you. The part where, you know, Craven's ripping the spider open and, you know, drinking the venom out of it. It's absolutely gorgeous in this issue. Ironically, the only thing that I thought he was having a problem drawing is Peter Parker. Look at the shots of Parker. <laughs> no, seriously. Everything else, bang on, looks amazing. And I, I, I've i always talked about my love of his art style as well, and I, I wish that he would have kept on with The Walking Dead. I just, there's something about his style that really, I just, I just dig it. I just absolutely love it. And, but look at any of the shots of Parker. And it just, there's a few of them in particular that it's like, oh my God, that's terrible. I don't know what it is, but he seems to have a problem drawing Parker. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, Tony Moore is also the one thing that could be the series biggest problem. And the reason why his art looks so good is he puts a lot of time and effort into it. That That's why he couldn't keep doing The Walking Dead. He couldn't get it out an, an issue every single month. And that's what we saw here. There was a big gap between issues one and two to the point where they had to bring in a backup artist to draw issue three. And if you look ahead, there's going to be a couple more. Uh, issues drawn by Tom Fowler. Nothing against Tom Fowler. The guy does a good job, but Tony Moore's Tony, Tony Moore. So that's something that, that that could be a bit of an issue going forward of do we want a great comic every two months or so or a consistent comic when we, you know, on a regular time schedule? I, I think that people care more about getting their comics every month than they care about who necessarily is doing the art on a regular basis. I know that as much as I I love who is doing the art, um, I don't always remember all of the names, and I just want something that looks good. If you can find somebody else who can do every other month, fine, as long as it looks fantastic and, and, and holds true to what that the, the pedigree that the series is trying to attain. Or at least, you know, trade off on story arcs like we're seeing on Amazing Spider-Man and X-Men. Uh, so, I'd rather so, not so, that so myself. I prefer each oh. story arc on its own has a consistent art style than jumping back and forth constantly. See, I'm having a huge problem with the jumping back and forth story arcs with the X-Men right now. I am seriously not digging it at all, at all, at all. Hey, well, I like, hey, hey, hey. I, sorry, let me clarify. Mm -hmm. I'm digging each of the story arcs. Yes. I just don't like this idea of jumping between them. To me, that is... It's it's just stupid. I really don't like it at all. Well, if you have to use two artists on a series, 
I think that's the better way to go. I mean, obviously, one artist with a consistent style would be best, but yeah, but that's, that's not that's implying possible. that if you have different artists, that all of a sudden it's like, well, who's this guy with these claws? I he looks completely different than the guy with the claws in <laughs> last month. No, they're the same. You're gonna know who it is. So the art is different, but if it's still good, it shouldn't matter. The story, you know, the characters. Whereas when you're bouncing the story back and forth, that is terribly jarring and one minute cyclops is fighting this freaking dinosaur dude with wolverine and then the next they're like whatever the hell the other story arc is so it's you know i'm really not digging that at all well it is what it is um just before we go there's one more thing i want to talk about here and it ties into that last panel we saw in issue four which i loved where it's flash and pete sitting on the couch watching tv and their shadows of the wall are venom and spider-man i i thought that was a great panel and it really ties in you know again the theme of the series flash has always looked up to spider-man and that's kind of what he wants to do but he's always ragged on peter for being irresponsible when we all know the reason he's irresponsible is because he is Spider-Man and we're seeing that in Flash's life. You know, his relationship with Betty is not going well because of his dual life as Venom. So I think it's really nice that Flash is finally starting to see what it's like to be Peter without really knowing he's being Peter. And I think that depending on just how good the art was supposed to be for that image you really get the impression from that image that there's a lot more going on between them when you're looking when you've seen that look between them. There is some serious, you know, wondering if in fact, you know, could Peter be Spider-Man and vice versa. It really looks like that may become a thing later on where perhaps they do figure out each other's identity. And I think that that actually would be very, very cool. I think that, again, it would be that, that insane partnership <laughs> that would be, that you never would have been able to imagine months or years ago kind of thing that Spider-Man would be partnering up with Venom to do things and yet the potential is there based on what we're seeing with the characters and then it would also open up so many amazing story arcs because of the the um, the the control or lack thereof that Flash has on the symbiote when it's on him for extended periods of time. So you've got Venom wanting to destroy Spider-Man and yet Flash forcing him to work with him towards certain goals. I think that they could really, really have fun with that if they explore that in issues to come. And that could be something that lasts for a very, very long time. And because Flash is such a fan of um, of Spider-Man, it would be one of those things where in you could rely on him to hold on to that information and not have to worry about that becoming a problem later on in in issues to come. I think it'd be a blast. I think it'd be really, really cool. As long as they keep carnage out of it, please. Yeah. (laughs) Now, now I have heard uh, Rick Remender say that he does plan to reintroduce Toxin to uh, to the comics at some point in Venom, which is cool because for the brief time we saw Toxin, who is an, yet another symbiote character, he's an interesting character, and I think that could tie in pretty well with uh, what's going on with Flash. I'm not going to get too much more detail into that, though. So we're going to move into the what we're reading segment this week, and what a surprise, I have more Flashpoint <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> we, we had the uh, Hal Jordan miniseries, which... 
went as expected. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out since Abin Sur is still serving as the Green Lantern in Flashpoint. So that's going to be interesting. Project Superman, I found really cool. Um, really can't wait to see what they're going to do with that particular series going forward, especially again, now that we've seen what's happened in Flashpoint 3, which I'm not going to get into too much detail on just yet. Uh, the Green Arrow Industries one shot, I absolutely loved. Ali is just the coolest character ever. And seeing this more Iron Man take on the character, I thought was fun and it told a good story. And the Canterbury Cricket, I sat there for a while trying to decide whether or not I wanted to read this one. And I'm really glad I did. I found it very enjoyable. And again, seeing where that particular story ties into Flashpoint number three, I love everything they're doing here. The Canterbury Cricket. Would you read a comic called The Canterbury Cricket? <laughs> I, well, actually, I have not read it yet, but I definitely will be. But no, I. it's funny. You mentioned the the, the Green Arrow one. I, I enjoyed, but it was too much of the Iron Man thing, I thought. Yeah, at, at a point. I was like, they're just writing an Iron Man comic with Ollie. Yeah. But then by the, but then by the end, it, it tied up and redeemed itself. I was like, okay, overall, it was pretty good. Yeah, it it was certainly wasn't my favorite, but I have to say I was even more disappointed with the Hal Jordan one. I because yeah. really it was the story that we've seen over and over and over again already. There 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 was not nearly enough that was different. So I it was I really was kind of disappointed in that one, and it's the first one that I can say. Well, the second, the, although the the Secret Seven I don't even count. But um, no, I was I really wasn't impressed with it. Okay. Uh, did you read Project Superman? Oh, that I loved. That was freaking cool. <laughs> that was awesome. I love that. And the whole freaking X-ray thing that he had going on, like 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 Batman Arkham Asylum, you know, style <laughs> looking. I was like, okay, that I dig that stuff. That was awesome. And then just him being able to see what was going on and the deception behind the scenes and things like that. I I really actually was enjoying that one. And I'm looking forward to seeing where they're going to go with it. All right. So uh, do you have anything else this week? Oh, dude, how can you not talk about Marvel Universe versus Wolverine? Oh, my God. <laughs> I just freaking loved it. And it was funny because I had not read up on it beforehand, so I didn't know what they were planning. And it's quite obvious. I mean, we talked about the Marvel Universe versus the Punisher and how much we both adored it. And so when I saw this, I thought, OK, well, is it going to be, you know, an homage to that story, but replacing... um Punisher with the Wolverine and maybe some other calamity kind of thing. And so that is what I was kind of expecting. But and I no. would have been okay with that. Oh, I, dude, I was, I thought that would be awesome. I thought that'd be fantastic. But no, it's a complete tie in. So now they've got me hooked even more because <laughs> the first issue was great. And now it's like, okay, well, at what point is he meeting up with the Punisher? Or is he even going to? Because we didn't see that in the other one. At what point does he lose his hand to the Hulk? <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things now that because we know what happened in the Punisher one, that I'm wondering what's going to happen with this series. But they've got me. I am so hooked into this. It was fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's definitely something we're going to be talking about in more detail to come. Oh, yeah. And then also, uh, again, next issue of Batman Arkham City. And this one here showing more of a undercover Batman going in and infiltrating both the Penguin and the um, the Joker bases to see who's going to be in power of Arkham City and that power struggle and how he can get in and out and figure out what's going on. And 
it was cool. It was fun seeing Batman not as Batman, you know, and just being Bruce Wayne, but a different persona. And I dug it. I liked it. I enjoyed it a lot. Of course, you know it's him, but it was fun and it was really, again, well done. I'm loving that series. And what it's doing is it make, it's making me crazy for when the actual game is going to come out to play it. <laughs> I'm just wondering where we're going to get the Catwoman issue of the miniseries. Well, I, you know what? I don't care. I, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> they can do whatever they want at this point. So far, it's, and again, it's, I don't know that everybody per se is going to be enjoying it quite as much, especially if you didn't play Arkham Asylum. If you're not into the games, maybe it won't be quite as cool for you. But if you were into the game and if you're looking forward to Arkham City and you've been following this, this concept of what it is that they're doing, the series is really doing a good job with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's functioning very well, both as a comic and as a video game tie-in. Yeah. And then, again, like I like to do, I've started a new, let's go back and <laughs> review some crap that I missed. And I've been working now on um, the Ultimate X-Men. So okay. I am at issue number 15, 16 or so kind of thing. It's just been great seeing Kurt again. You know, <laughs> it's not exactly Kurt, but man, I'm digging him in this too. And... It's actually been a fun little series to read so far. I've been enjoying it. Yeah, it it got a little uh, inconsistent uh, near the, the the midway to tail end of the uh, of the run, but uh, just for seeing fresh interpretations of the characters, I was on board with it. And there's actually a point uh, somewhere around the 50s or the 70s where Kirkman wrote a couple storylines. So that's something to look forward to. Oh, that'll be great. No, yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. And it is just that because, like you're saying, it's that fresh take on on different characters. I think that they could have been even more different with them. It would have been nice if they would have been even more different. You see, at this point now, having seen what they did with um, Chaos War and just how different they, they there, they really had fun with the characters. And, and it was quite a bit different. When I look now at other series like this, I think, oh, like you could have done so much more. You could have really broken the mold with the characters. And and it's not that far removed, but it's still just enough that it's it's a fun twist. And it's there. So far, they've been fun little story arcs. Yeah, I mean, especially early on in the genesis of the of the ultimate universe, they were just testing the waters, trying to see. Yeah you know, what they could get away with, how far they could go. And there's some points later on where they go completely off the radar with the characters. Well, that's why I'm also reading up on this, because I'd like to have that background knowledge for when they are going to be doing their fallout and then the new series later on. I, I want to have had that that history so that I, I know the characters, I know what they did beforehand to see what, you know, just how different they're going to be doing the new stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So anything else this week? No, that's enough. I've obviously been busy with other things this week. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we're going to roll into our new releases for, well, yesterday at this point, but that's okay. Uh, on the Marvel side of things, it's another Fear Itself week. We have Fear Itself number four, as well as the first issues of the Uncanny X-Force and Wolverine miniseries. Uh, I've got Heroes for Hire number nine, which is also apparently a Fear Itself tie-in. Hulk 36, Moon Knight number three. Thunderbolts 160, Fear Itself, Uncanny X-Men 540, Fear Itself, uh, their new miniseries coming up, Vengeance, which seems pretty cool, kind of focusing on the villains and their legacy in the universe. Uh, looking forward to checking that one out. And issue 14 of X-Men. Which is going to be interesting to see what they're doing again with what's going on right now with um, with 
Magneto and and these new freaking dudes kind of thing. It's it's interesting to see what's going to be happening with that. I'm just waiting for it to get there. It's like, come on already. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it seems like it's taking its time getting to the point. And DC, uh, a, it's a Flashpoint week. So we have Flashpoint number three, as well as uh, the second run through their uh, miniseries, Abensur, Night of Vengeance, Secret Seven, and World of Flashpoint, all with issues number two. And aside from that, we've got Batman and Robin 25, Batman Beyond number seven, and Secret Six number 35. I, You know what? It's, again, right now, the Batman story arc, I'm so digging it but <laughs> knowing that it's eventually going to be going back to bruce wayne um i'm just very i'm 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 looking forward to this series probably more than the other ones just because i want to know how are they going to do that kind of thing i already know what the final puzzle is going to look like it's just how are the pieces going to change to fit in there so i'm really really looking forward to reading that one Mm -hmm. And just to wrap up, we've got Irredeemable 27 from Boom Studios and from Image. Yes, Chew number 19, (laughs) one of our favorites. Really looking forward to that. And I'm actually, as much as I liked the last issue, which it was a future forward issue, and I like the sister, and, and and she's quirky, and it was funny to kind of wonder, again, the same kind of thing. It's like, how the hell are they going to get from there to, from here to there eventually? Because what the hell? Granted, we've seen so many things <laughs> in that series, anything can happen. But I'm looking forward to it going back to him, because it, the series was about him. He was so... It, I love the character so much. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that. <laughs> I got my daughter hooked on it, too. So now when I put in my order with the comic book shop, I have to tell them, make sure to put two issues of this aside because she missed one month and it drove her nuts. All right. So uh, before we wrap up, just real quick, uh, we got a little something special going on Tuesday, right, Roger? Oh, are we talking about that here? Yeah, I, I guess we can. Get a bit. Yeah, yeah, well, for folks who are regular listeners of this podcast, who remember way back when, we used to have our games podcast as well. Um, we had a couple of games podcasts, and that was because we started off with For the Lore, and then from there we kind of branched off, and we grew into the Bow Down to Us, which had more um, more podcasts. We had a games one. We, we held on to a lore one, and of course the comics one. Um we had to stop for a while again because of my problems with my knees and whatnot, but we've been regaining some things back, case in point, this this comics podcast. And it's been great, and I've been loving doing it again, and it hasn't been taking too much time away from my physio in order to do it. And the other thing, too, is I did want to start back the um, the games one. I would Well, I'd been hoping that we'd be able to go back to our roots, which was the For the Lore. And so we are actually going to be doing that. We're starting back as of Tuesday of next week. We're going to be recording live, starting with the pre-show at quarter to seven, and that is Eastern Time. And it's going to be us two as well as Joe. Everybody will remember if you listened to before. And again, it's going to be, if you go to the site, the site has been changed. We're back to, again, forthelore.com. Very, very simple. It's just show notes that are on there, and you can listen. You can stream the shows, the old shows, if you'd like to get caught up as well. There's some, of course, you're going to hear the intro is going to be bowed on to us, the lore edition, but it is for the lore show. It, that, it, it always remained the for the lore show. And I'm really, really looking forward to doing that again because we always had so much fun on that. So anybody who's listened to us before with those floor podcasts, 
we'd gladly have you back. And anybody new who doesn't know those, uh, if you'd like to hear us talk about some games, definitely check us out. It's July 12th uh, for the lore.com. And of course, we'll have iTunes for those of you who can't make it for the live show. So we really, really are happy to be uh, reestablishing this part of, uh, of our lives. Yeah, it's again, it's going to be don't go to the site for reviews or anything like that. Go for the show notes because it's going to be kept super simple. Again, that's the only way that I can do this with because my physio takes so much time. Um, But the shows are going to be the exact same. That being said, if you had the old iTunes feed and you'd subscribe to it, that one is gone now because iTunes is terrible with renaming and things (laughs) like that. So I created a brand new one and deleted the old one. But in so deleting the old one, we lost all of our reviews as well. So if you did like the old one, you'd listen to it or you've now listened to it because we're telling you about it, leave us a review on the new one because those reviews actually do matter. Okay. So that's uh, us for uh, here this week, uh, issue 34. So you can always find us at comicbookinformer.com, on Twitter at CB Informer, and just like we saw before the lore on iTunes, we would love some reviews. And we'll see everybody for issue 35 next week. Which I have no idea what it's going to be about. <laughs> I knew you were. <laughs> no clue. <laughs> <laughs>